He's running. Welcome to Haven of Horror. This is episode 20. Uh, we've got a full house tonight. Brent, new guest star for the first time on the show, Doolittle. Uh, welcome, man. So we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight because there's more than just the two movies tonight. But first, I thought we'd just give Doolittle a chance to introduce himself and what kind, what like some of his favorite horror films. Yeah, so uh, I am Doolittle, um, and you know, very happy to be here. You know, it seems like a very nice, uh, you know, group of people. You know, very very nice people. I've talked to them before, uh, and. In terms of like my favorite horror movies, you know, it's very hard to pin down. Um, but I, I think that overall, I think Evil Dead 2 is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, just because, like, I think ideally that's kind of what I'm looking for in a horror film. It's just something really fun, very shot dynamically, has really nice suspense. And that movie also has a lot of comedy, which is really cool. And I think that comedy and horror have a very intrinsic kind of relationship with each other. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking for. And uh, recently I just watched this film called Repulsion, which I think is my favorite psychological horror film. And psychological horror is kind of like my favorite uh, genre of, of horror or, or like subgenre of horror rather. So um, I just watched that. And I think that's climbing up the top as my favorite of that kind of film. But yeah, that's kind of my taste with all that. Uh, kind of horribly simplistic but you know i don't i don't like talking about myself too much uh, i've never heard of that repulsion one is that a newer movie oh, or is it an older talking, one are you talking about the 1965 roman polanski film yeah oh yeah i've seen that that's a fantastic movie it's it's awesome it's really cool and i think it's my favorite of his films all the chinatown's really good though as well it's like the uh it's the first entry in the apartment trilogy right more or less yes yeah, which has yeah. rosemary's babies also in that too yeah yeah, huh. well, I've always wanted to see that. that I've watched that you guys haven't watched. Yeah, surely get on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need. I haven't even seen Chinatown. I'm a hack. Yeah. I still think that Rose. I still think that Rosemary's Baby is like my favorite of the three. But you know, you can watch any of them. They're fascinating to watch. I've seen yeah. Rosemary's Baby, but I I would need to rewatch it because I was younger when I saw it. And I didn't. I didn't and I was very bored. As yeah, like as a younger teenager, I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like Doolittle just gave us like a job interview answer. It's like, <laughs> thank you. But uh, we also have Austin with us again. Welcome back, buddy. It's been a couple episodes. Yeah, you, uh, you can't see it, but there's a ball and chain under it, like attached to my leg. Uh, I've been pretty good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> hey, Noah. Welcome, welcome in. Always good to see. You. Uh. We've been we we've been pretty good. We uh we covered Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead last week, and I don't know if you watched that show or any of the shows that you know we've done it recently. But well, I wanted been... to be there for that, but I just couldn't make it for that weekend. Yeah, for sure. So, and I'll, I'm going to swing back around to that real quick here in a second. But uh, if it hadn't been for Milton, those would have joined the five out of five list. Uh, he gave, gave them both them, like, a four point seven five. Well, I mean, that's, you know. yeah. I, I mean, I don't disagree. Like, no, like, don't get me wrong. His nine, yeah. His review, like, his score is his own. I don't want him to change it based on like what I think or anything. But uh, I mean, they'll change as time goes along, anyway. Yeah, it'll get lower. Um, well, some get higher. <laughs> so, actually, for me, uh, they live has a higher score in my mind now than when I first gave it a ranking. 
Yeah, and if you guys haven't checked out his review, uh, Milton wrote a written review for it. Uh, I will post it in the, I will put it in the channel link or in the comments below after the video. Um, so Austin, since, since you weren't able to be there last week, but you did want to, uh, just really quickly, what do you think of Dawn and Day? Uh, well, I've only ever watched them with you, so I, I need to see them kind of again on my own to kind of um, uh, f- feel like I didn't miss stuff. But I like both of those movies. I think they're pretty good. I'm not a zombie person like you are, so I don't know if I would go to a 5 out of 5. But it's it's like a solid like 4.5. Like it's, it's still a great movie. Yeah, for sure. I think I prefer Night of the Living Dead, though, out of the trilogy. Uh, do little. Do you want to chime in about Dawn and Day since since we're talking about that for just a minute? Yeah, I definitely really appreciate the social commentary of both of those films. Um, I think that I mean, that's kind of inherent with all the Romero uh, dead films, right? It's kind of um, zombies in general. I find like out of all horror monsters, yeah. uh, they're like the most used for um, like social commentary and satire. I think and allegories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, I think uh, I think between Dawn and Day, I'm gonna go with Dawn. But with that said, I want to rewatch Day and Dawn because I feel like I've given more time to Night. Uh, just because Night's just a film that really like resonated with me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like like because that was the one I watched first as a kid, right? And like what, like the the ending to Night of the Living Dead just totally blew my mind when I was a kid, you know. So. I think that it's hard to compare that to two other films, you know, so I've just gone back to night more, you know what I mean? Uh, but I, I want to, I, I, I love all those movies equally, you know, but I, I think I, uh, between day or between dawn and day, I think I prefer dawn um, and night overall. I really like, but day's really good too. And it has one of the best zombie deaths ever. Um, yeah. Getting flipped <laughs> apart. Like, Oh my God, it's, it's so <laughs> gruesome, but it's like, it's really impactful. And, and, you know, just yeah. really well done. Uh, yeah. Really well, like, very effective. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. day is one of the few movies that makes me just squirm watching it with some of the sound mixing and stuff. But I, I've said my piece on those movies. If you're curious to what I think of them, go watch last week's episode. <laughs> watch our freaking episodes, guys. Um, but yeah, so this is this is episode 20. We're covering Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellraiser. But first, we've got a few things that we wanted to discuss. Uh, Austin wanted to bring up the Evil Dead game, which I'm perfectly okay with because I'm really excited for it. Uh, so, Austin, what are some of your – what do you want out of this game? Um, The world. Uh, no. <laughs> I just want a good Evil Dead game. Like, I, I'm i cool with it being online. I wish there was, you know, single player, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I just want it to be, like, fun, like – um, it kind of looks like the online for Left 4 Dead, which if that's what it's like, then that's cool. I think that'd be fun. It looks like a mix of like Left 4 Dead with Friday the 13th or Predator, that style, uh, just <laughs> from what little we've seen. So one thing I do appreciate about this game is it's not just like, oh, here's all the things you know from like Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness. Like it, It's the whole franchise, or at least the ones with Ash in it. Are there any characters that we haven't seen that you want to be in it? Um, well, I kind of feel like there's so few characters in the movies. I would like to see like every character if they can. 
But, uh, oh, uh, a character I need to be there is Ted Raimi from Mash vs. the Evil Dead. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, see, there'll be like three Ted Raimis. It'll just be him from each movie he's in. <laughs> yes. I I know you pro- you might disagree with me here, but I would love to see Mia from that remake. I'd be fine with that, yeah. Um, I don't really care about any of the other characters in that remake, but Mia, I would love for for her to be in that. Um, Yeah, no, I have issues with the remake, but overall, I think it's uh, it's solid. I was really happy that like we got Evil Dead one characters in there because I feel like every time something new Evil Dead comes out, we just kind of ignore that first movie. Well, I mean, uh, one of the characters we're getting back is Cheryl, who is Ash's sister in the original, and she did come back for Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Uh, That's two. true. That's I mean, true. To, to be fair for the forgetfulness, I mean, Evil Dead 1 does not have the strongest characters that you've seen in a horror movie. Well, no. Uh, I just mean, like, for for a while there, but Austin, you're right, especially with, like, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, we started to pay more, like, respect to that first movie. Yeah. But it just uh, felt like for a while there, anytime Evil Dead was referenced, it was just like, oh, just the second one, you know. Uh, but so, uh, Austin wants to play a tree in that game, I'm sure. Oh, no. Oh, yes, I do. But I think uh, I think Scott <laughs> is in it, too, which is... Yes, he is. Cool. Oh. Uh, and then we also get stuff like, I think Henry the Red is in it. Uh, they showed off that Evil Ash is going to be in oh, it. Oh, I don't is, know. Is Henry... Is he, is he in it? I know yeah. Arthur is. I'm not sure about him. Maybe that's who I'm thinking of. But uh, while I look into that, um, Doolittle and Milton, do you guys have any thoughts or anything you want from this game? Well, I mean, hope is a strong word for it. I mean, let, let's hope it actually turns out to be a good game and it's not just there for, I don't know, cash grab or whatnot, because it's definitely easy for those games to fall into that. All I can say is I I just hope they do a good job with it. I hope there's someone with passion behind it. But it, it's also an Evil Dead thing, so I can't help but think that it might maybe do what other games did in the past with this property and try to rely a bit more off of Army of Darkness, I would think. Or maybe Ash vs. the Evil Dead. There's not really a whole lot you can do in terms of a video game off of the first two movies. Uh, did you watch the trailers for it? I've seen a little. I've seen a little bit of it. I always distrust trailers in general. I try to. Fair enough. Some, I, try I, to I meant more so like that. the gameplay one, but yeah. Um, to answer your question, Austin, I did a little researching, and there are stills from the game with Henry the Red. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, cool, but yeah, cool. Uh, Milton, I agree with you, which is why I was happy during the gameplay trailer they showed. There are characters from every iteration of at least the original continuity, and I use you know continuity lightly here with these movies, but because uh, you've got characters from the first one, you've got well actually you know what I don't think we've seen anyone from two except for of course Ash. Yeah, but I'm sure we're probably saving some of that stuff. Like yeah, but, I, there's no way Henrietta isn't like a playable deadite. Yeah, but and then we've got. Like we discussed, we've got characters from Army of Darkness. And and there's uh, stuff that I wouldn't have expected, too. Like, uh, you can play as that um, that kind of, like, glitchy-looking demon thing from uh, the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that Kelly and Pablo are uh, 
are in it. I was yeah, thinking I'm about saying. this earlier because to segue a little bit as well into Evil Dead Rise. I hate that title, by the way. That's um, not good. I I kind of hope they're they're playing it close to the chest and like Kelly or Pablo shows up in that movie. Because like I don't know, there's just it feels so disconnected from the franchise, which is fine. You know, of course, you know make the make the movie first, but like. I don't know, it's Evil Dead, you know, there's always been like, characters that move from one movie to another, unless, except for the remake. Well, it's Uh, the start of the shared universe. There are things that I would love to see a shared universe for. Evil Dead is not one of them. (laughs) It doesn't have the strongest terms of a universe, exactly. It has a kind of of loose continuity between two and Army of Darkness. And then Army to Ash versus Evil Dead. That's it. Oh yeah, I mean we. And there is kind of like a multimedia kind of part to it, right? Because there's like comic books, and then there's a TV show. So there's there's that, but that's not like. That's true. That's not the same thing as like a shared universe, though, right? Like that's just like I don't know. I'm not like I'm not really enthusiastic about a shared universe for Evil Dead, but I'm, I'm hoping the movie's good. I hope the movie's good I've, as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I've read some of those comics, and I, I don't know if you have Austin, but at least the ones that I read from Dynamite didn't feel like Evil Dead. It just felt like taking Ash and just throwing him in like other properties because you've got like Ash meeting uh, Xena. And like Dark Man and things like that, and it was it was fine. Marvel Zombies, Freddy. Yeah, and he's squared off against. Yeah, yeah. Freddy, the Freddy versus Jason versus Ashen was awesome. But I mean, I'd like to read that. Yeah, yeah. I wish that was wasn't out of print. But but anyway, uh, moving on, we've got a couple of movie announcements to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one being uh, Blumhouse is giving the remake of Christine over to Brian Fuller. Um, Austin, I know you haven't seen it, but Hannibal is one of the best shows like of recent memory, mm-hmm. uh, and he show ran that. So I'm really excited to see what he does with that property. I need to watch. Was he the showrunner show of Punisher then? Because wasn't that the same showrunner as Hannibal? I don't think so. Was he? No, I don't think so. But I can yeah. I can look that up real quick. I don't think so. I remember that being a big thing that like the showrunner of Hannibal was doing Punisher. And this was just somebody else on that show, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe there was someone from the handball writing staff. Brian yeah. Fuller. But no, uh, Brian Fuller is the one who was supposed to originally do Discovery. Yeah, yeah, he I remember left. that, yeah. Uh, he also did the 2002 Carrie that I haven't seen. Um, that was like a made-for-TV movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a writer on Hero Season 1 and 3 and 4. Uh, season one was really good at least. <laughs> um, season one was good. The big thing that I worry about with this movie is Brian Fuller is known to leave projects over the littlest thing. Uh, and this is, from what I understand, a Sony and Blumhouse co-production. Oh God! Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that was my reaction. <laughs> I, I like. I'm excited for the potential of this movie that we have right now. It could um, be gifts from because, the though, because of that. But it could also be sabotaged from the beginning because if he's going to leave the project the first time, you know, 
something happens with the production studios. Uh, unless yeah, they I get just don't somebody... trust Sony and Blumhouse enough on this. And I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I don't know if it'll have the right budget either. And like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm potentially excited because when we talked about Christine, I think that movie is like due for a readaptation because that, that movie's fine. It's just not my thing. Um, I just hope that they do practical effects with a guitar, with the cars. And that, that, will that will not happen. Well, that's, that's although I, don't want to I a remake. Although I was surprised that they actually used a cat for the remake of uh, Pet Cemetery, so maybe. Yeah, too bad that movie sucked. Uh, I mean, the original does too. <laughs> yeah, that original's not bad. No, both those movies suck. The original one has its fans. I, I know someone who's a huge fan of the original Pet Cemetery movie, which is interesting because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but uh yeah so i mean that's really all we know at this point it's just there is a christine remake in the works and it seems like we're gonna get a lot of stephen king re-adaptations which i'm i'm happy about because a lot of those older stephen king movies you know like most of them aren't great <laughs> you get he stuff doesn't like have a good track record for adaptation yeah yeah you get stuff like the shining of course but yeah what are you most excited for as like a stephen king fan for it to be like for one of his works to be readapted. I would love to see, well, the one that I was most excited for, we already did, and it was on CBS All Access, and from what I've heard, it sucked. So uh, I'm going to give runner-up to either either Christine. I would love to see that redone, because I think that first movie is really flawed. Or I'd love to see a new Dead Zone. I haven't seen the original, but I would love to see like a new one. How about I'm... a Ghost Player, though? That might be cool, if they can actually do it properly. Uh, but my first answer would have been the stand, but CBS got their hands all over it. From what I'm going to say, uh, Cujo would be one that I think that you could do better now. Um, and then I'm going to transition and say Salem's Lot, which is another one that's getting remade. Yeah. Although I'm not sure about that one either. But um, Jake Gyllenhaal has apparently been offered the role for that. As uh, for the, the lead. priest? Or... No, as the lead, I think. Oh, the reporter guy. Yeah, he'd be good mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, so, I could see it. I didn't really look at the article too much because I wanted to just discuss it on on stream. Uh, other than James, we know James Wan is producing. Do we have any other information? Um, here I can look it up quickly. That's the only. That's the big thing that I know is that I'm pretty sure James Wan is producing it. Well, I hope it's better than the last movie he produced. Well, he's not like he doesn't produce the best movies <laughs> no he doesn't well because you know what the last two movies he produced was well uh he produces all of the conjuring universe films yeah. and the uh insidious sequels after he left like and well, uh, and probably the saw sequels i would think uh yeah i think some of them uh i think he had less to do with those than uh bowsman did bowsman was more those uh, but he also, I think he also produced Mortal Kombat. Yes, he did. Um, because it was announced that he was producing a Mortal Kombat film like a year before it came out. And that was when they were like, there's a new Mortal Kombat movie coming out. <laughs> yeah. I like that movie less the more I've thought about it. It's, I it's... held out hope for so long. 
So, um, so it's being directed by Gary Dauberman. Who? <laughs> I ain't gonna find that out. I don't know who that is. He... Uh oh. He is the writer for Annabelle, Annabelle Creation. Um, oh, all the Annabelle movies, uh, both it movies. So, although to be fair, it chapter one he did a rewrite of. So that's yeah. I think some of that was Fukunaga's script, right? Mm-hmm. He actually. Yeah. Um, if you follow the scripts, he actually brought a lot of that stuff back because there is a script in between them that cuts out a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And Dabberman brings a lot of that back from what I understand. Uh, yeah. But he started from the ground up with it, Chapter 2, which is way not as good. <laughs> yeah. Although, to be fair to it, Chapter 2, it's also, like, it. I know it's its job to, like, make that material better, but it's also stuck with the weakest part of that book. Uh, so it's kind of what I expected from whatever that movie was when they did the adult stuff in the book. I mean, it was still pretty bad, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the Although first most movie... of that is direction, I think, in a way. Yeah, like, right. I also think it's hurt by the first movie being so self-contained because they had to like retroactively shove a lot of the lore into the into the movie. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see. Yeah, and I doubt in the script it says something like really bad CGI naked elderly woman comes running it, Bev. (laughs) So I have to admit, when I saw that theater, that startled the crap out of me because I wasn't expecting it. But then I looked at it again. I was like, what the fuck is this? This looks terrible. It just like caught me off guard. It's really silly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I mean, those. I hate those Annabelle movies. Oh, God, please get a good screenwriter. That's all I ask. Like maybe yeah, I mean, a good Jake Gyllenhaal, from what I've heard, like has pretty solid, um, like uh, quality uh, control, quality Non-control. control. I guess like I guess not really control, but you know what I mean. Like he's pretty good at picking projects. So I guess if he you pick these- it. He has decent taste when he looks at the script. As yeah, so if he takes that role, it, it might be good, yeah. yeah we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. Uh, the, other big, the other big news is that uh, the new Predator film is going to be direct to HBO, or not HBO Max, mm-hmm. um, Hulu. Yeah. A direct to Hulu Predator movie? Jeez. To be fair, it came, that came out later. Like, it was supposed to go to theaters. And also, like, like this is more of like a, um, like a soul type situation or something like that. Like the HBO Max movies, like where it's like, okay, well, let's just put this in. So what is this one called? Predators. It's just Predator Five right now. Like they don't. Yeah, it was supposed to be called Skulls, but and and like because if you don't know Dredge it was going to be called Skulls and they weren't going to advertise it as a Predator movie and that was just going to be a surprise for when you watched it (laughs) a freaking 10 Cloverfield Lane situation we got going not really what (laughs) well I mean I mean kind of well what do you mean are you just saying things now like (laughs) my brain's a little weird right now because of But I, I guess I was thinking of, but I was guess I was thinking of along the lines of it's not really that connected to 
the original thing, except at the very end, or something like that. No, no, it was going to be a Predator movie, but they weren't, like, it was being made as a Predator movie, but they wanted uh, that to be a surprise. Okay, I see, I gotcha. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. let's let's be honest here, a straight-to-Hulu movie doesn't mean anything anymore in terms of quality. Some, some I wouldn't fan- know we don't have Hulu. Well, but we I mean, just in general, a lot of like a lot of big movies that you would expect to go to theaters are going straight to streaming. It's just the nature of. Uh, it's just Hollywood's changing. Yeah, yeah it's time we change awesome. too. You you yeah, could but... tell me that like the next you could tell me that the like next Marvel movie is going to be only on Disney Plus if it wouldn't blink. Wouldn't be but yeah, awesome. Just just get a VPN, man. If you don't have Hulu. No, because I don't have to pay for Hulu. We basically get it <laughs> for free. Yeah, you Milton. have Disney stars, dude. Mm-hmm. Milton, can you, can you calm down with the... Oh, just get a... Like, come on. I'm not using your 20% off code. Leave me alone. Uh, NordVPN, if you do want to sponsor us, uh, that'd be Please awesome. don't. <laughs> Shut up, Austin. You don't come on enough to have that kind of request power. <laughs> Well, I'm not using your VPN. Not that I wouldn't if they gave me a code. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that's pretty much all the news. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just do this, I think, in release order. That's usually what we've been doing. Uh, so, but for last thing before we start is, so Austin, you put together the list of movies that we, we picked from. Why did you pick these two movies specifically together? Like, fuck, I don't remember that. Yeah, because it was months ago I put together that list. Um, I want to say it was probably something about it being more like, kind of like that supernatural type like thing. (laughs) We'll go with it. Uh, It's like a box, right? So, similar. Austin, tell us tell us about Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, oh God, I wish I could remember the lyrics to Nightmare on My Street, so I could use that as my description. Um, <laughs> uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is a film about bad dreams and characters that die in their dreams by a Christmas mascot named Freddy. Um. And he's got very long nails and a fedora. That's the movie. Nightmare on Elm Street, a movie about bad dreams and even badder men. Exactly. So this is obviously one of the last big original slashers of the 80s. You know, the slashers were kind of like on their last leg, at least in terms of like new ones being made. Of course, the big three continued to go throughout the 2000s. Um, but I think this is probably the most unique of any of the slasher movies that that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. At least in terms of premise, yeah. yeah We're trying to do premise. something besides just knife-wielding maniac runs at you, or slowly walks at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably the most interesting killer out of any of, out of the big three slashers. Um, but it, but yeah. also very much. This is kind of like a rough draft of what Freddy would become. Uh, he's much more like serious in this movie. You get moments of levity, of course, but he's not like cracking jokes every five minutes like he is in the later sequels. 
Um, so how do you guys rank Freddy in the movie monster slasher monster list? I don't know about movie monster, but in terms of slasher, he's probably my favorite. Um, just because like Halloween is a better movie, but Michael Myers like, isn't a character. Like he's more of a, like image. Like he's just, he's the boogeyman. He's not a character. Uh, well, Freddie is a character. So if I'm ranking character, like slasher characters, Freddie would be number one. Um, I don't know about overall just horror monster icons, though. I'd have to think about that. I put him up there with Jason, which is why they should have a movie where they fight. Um, I think, I think for me, it's like. Oh wait, no, is that? Are you... Go ahead. Okay, okay. Uh, you should be stupid. <laughs> um, no, but um, I think for me, it's like I think I think Freddy is my favorite because uh, my thing is uh, with Michael Myers and with Jason, it's like Jason's kind of like Godzilla. Like he kind of watched those movies, and like he's just kind of like a force of nature, you know, just coming in. Although there is some interesting stuff, you know, kind of. I think. Surprisingly, there is some pathos with Jason because it's like, you know, he was drowned in a lake as a child, you know, and like he's like taking vengeance upon like uh, these like camp counselors or whatever because he's like probably like angry, you know, probably feel, you know, enacting that kind of revenge. Um, and there's some interesting stuff too of Jason being triggered by sex in some ways, you know, for like his violence and that he doesn't kill children too is also interesting. So I think Jason's interesting on that level, but that's like overanalyzing those movies, uh, at least, at least to me. Um, Michael Myers is very interesting uh, in how he is as like a, like a device in the first Halloween film, the Carpenter film. Um, I think attempts to dive deeper into explaining him makes him less scary um yeah also freddy has kind of an advantage in that 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 was the one that scared me as a child like that i I would have nightmares about freddy krueger you know what i mean which is even scarier because what those movies are about right so um no he he definitely has a very special place in my heart yeah you can never run away from your dreams no i i'm gonna say he's my third favorite of the big slasher icons um I really love, you know, Nightmare 1 and 3 and New Nightmare. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jason guy. I'm a Jason guy. Uh, sure. But I, I, I really like how they unintentionally parallel each other uh, in some ways. You know, one, the quote Freddy versus Jason in one of those awful dialogue scenes. One died by water, one by fire. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I like Freddy as the as the boogeyman in a different way than Michael. Uh, Michael is, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, Austin, what would you say? Like the symbolic boogeyman, whereas Freddy is the literal boogeyman in your dreams. Yes. Um, yeah. But he definitely has the most interesting kills because with the premise they have, they can go all out like wacky, weird shit. Uh, like in, in three, you know, where he's using the one guy's like a, a marionette with his veins and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're more grounded in this movie, but as they go forward, um, they kind of play with that idea a bit more. It's almost like they got more money. 
it, it definitely gives a very interesting sense of tension, like leading up to where he's going to be next, because he only appears in dreams, and eventually people have to sleep. Yeah, it's not it's not like with Jason where you can eventually just keep avoiding it really to an eternity or Michael Myers. You clearly have never seen a Friday the 13th movie, my friend, because that motherfucker well, teleports. <laughs> well, I I saw six and X with you guys, so you know. But, of course, the point is, we don't really get a sense uh you could get at least some illusion of safety of keeping some distance between you and Jason. But, Freddy, the, that rule doesn't exist unless you bring him out into, you know, the real world. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. only cool ideas we bring in for the remake, um, which is, like, the characters stay up so long that they kind of, like, you know, kind of do, like, one of those types of things. They start to, like, hallucinate him uh, while they're actually awake because, like, they've gone so long without sleeping. That movie's yeah. still awful. But that idea itself could be really good in a good uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah. There, There's a couple ideas. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, no, no. You, you go ahead, actually. There is a couple ideas from that remake I'd like to see them retry in a better movie. Um, is that one, and then they almost win me over with the he was innocent the whole time thing. Um, it doesn't go anywhere, of course, because that movie sucks. Um, but yeah, I'd like well, to see them try something like that again. Yeah, when I was watching this movie for the first time, and this is the only Friday, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movie that I've seen, I thought it would be an interesting idea if the reason why he's a vengeful ghost is because he was an innocent person. I mean, the movie definitely doesn't dress it up that way exactly, but they never explicitly say that he did something. Um, but rewinding really quick, what were you going to say to him? Oh, I was just going to say I really, really like that um, uh, Nancy in this film, uh, like she, she's like, you know, drinking coffee all the time. Like she's like trying her best not to go to sleep. I and. I do, I do like that idea that like maybe as the movie goes on, she becomes more and more delusional, you know, as as she's like kind of like struggling to, you know, fall asleep. And I, I um, I never saw the remake. I only saw like parts of it, and I was just kind of bored. I was like, oh my god, um, why are we doing this? But good on like, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that they did that though. I didn't know that they took that and they like ran with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's a scene, for example, uh, where she's in, I think, a drugstore looking for, like, pills, you know, to keep her awake. And as she's walking, she's, like, drifting in and out of, like, a dream world and the real world. So he's, like, like, sometimes he's, like, standing at the end of the aisle, and then sometimes he's not. Like, it's just kind of flashing back and forth. It's the only time that that Freddy looks menacing. Because you can't see him. <laughs> Uh, but yeah with the Milton the the, you know innocent and guilty thing they they play it up for like five minutes in the the remake that he might have been innocent the kids lied Um, and the whole thing in that movie is he's not a child murderer he's a child molester Yeah, which was the original idea for this movie uh, but they went back on it yeah which I, I honestly think the molester thing is it was smart of them to drop it um, especially because, especially in the sequel, like, that doesn't affect this movie, but especially in the sequels, you know, where you start to kind of root for Freddy over the kids. Uh, 
don't know. It's weird. It would be weird if he was like a child molester. We have movies like scenes that hint at it. I think Freddy versus Jason hint, kind of hints at it too, but it's never like explicitly said. Can it leaves it to the imagination? Well, I thought isn't wasn't the one of the original drafts for uh, Freddy versus Jason that like Freddy molested Jason as a um, camp counselor? Yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. weird. Uh, uh, Austin, there's a book just about the making of Freddy. Versus I have Jason. that book. Yeah, I um, haven't read it yet, but I do have it. I've never finished it, but it's fascinating. Uh, the one where they're in a boxing ring in hell, surrounded by like all the most evil figures on earth, is wow. You guys really overthought that one. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, yeah. For this movie, uh, one big yeah. thing I hear a lot is that. Uh, uh, Heather Langenkamp, the woman who plays Nancy, is really bad in this movie. Uh, what, what do you guys think about that? Because personally, I like I think she's fine. Like I, uh, in, in terms of these kind of performances, like she's not amazing or anything, but like I, I like her well enough in this movie. I, I thought think... she's beautiful. Yeah, she's yeah. fine. I don't I think... think she. Oh, go ahead. She has a scream queen energy, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think, too, for me, it's hard for me to be distracted by her performance when her mother is legitimately, like, an awful actress. No, the mom is terrible in this movie. <laughs> she's not good. I, I think she's inconsistent. Okay. She's really good at being the, like, the brave uh, final girl. But when she has to play just like a scared teenager, I think her performance is weaker uh, in, in some scenes. But I, overall, I really like Nancy. Uh, and, I, and I think she gets better in, in part three. Yeah, I like that her, her scene in the classroom where, where she wakes up from the nightmare and the teacher's like, you know, I'm going to call you to like go home or whatever like i thought that was good i thought i thought that she did a good performance there mm-hmm. uh, like with her cameo of, of uh lin Shay, yeah oh yeah yeah so i thought that was good but i can say i see what you mean though um uh, she, she i think she's she does really well with like the the bigger stuff i guess yeah the most when i notice is when she has to like cry or like be upset about about like someone dying or taught like you know, begging her parents to pay attention. She's really inconsistent. Uh, but I agree that the mom is terrible. Um, but with I the also... one uh, vodka bottle prop that they had, that she just walks around with. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I'm more forgiving of the mom being bad because John Saxon is awesome as Nancy's dad. Oh, and I wish great, he yeah. was more. I yeah. wish he was in this one. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I might counter on that. I think he has just the right amount because he is supposed to be a bit more of a distant figure in in his daughter's life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not in it enough. I'm fine with how much he's in it, but I also wouldn't complain if he was in it more. Oh, no. Sure. Uh, so, Austin and, and Doolittle, if you've seen the other movies, do you kind of agree with me? There's almost a trilogy of movies here with one, three, and New Nightmare. Yes. Yeah. That would be an interesting trilogy to watch. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's the that, those are the movies that are most commonly recommended to people, right? Like it's like because those, those are like seen as like the best. Those They're are the, the good, good ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has exactly yeah. two more good ones than Hellraiser. Oh wow! Um, well, that makes sense. 
But uh, what do you guys think of the supporting cast here? Uh, you know, we got Johnny Depp in his first movie role. And I, I He's fine. He's fine. I, th- I think most of the actors in this movie are just kind of fine. Yeah. Um, with the exception of the mom. Uh, everybody else, yeah, like, nobody really jumps out at me and is like, this person's a really good actor. Um, I don't know, like, inconsistent, maybe, like, I remember the, uh, was Rod, I think, being a little wonky, like, here and there, but, like, overall, he's fine. Rod? Uh, one... <laughs> Rod's a weird, weird character to me, because, uh, some of it is, of course, just a cultural difference because these are supposed to be like kids in the eighties. I, you know, I didn't grow up in the eighties. He of all of them does not feel like a teenager. He most of all feels like a thirty-year-old man pretending to be a teenager because he's a fifties greaser that just shows up. <laughs> yeah, he definitely was probably the most jarring inclusion in this. He does not belong at all in this movie, and he also has the lamest death, like. Yeah, he's get, he gets hung by bed sheets. It is. It has always been weird to me because Freddie doesn't care about you know trying to be like conspicuous with Tina or um, what's Johnny, Johnny Depp's character's Depp. name? Glenn. Glenn. But Glenn, yeah. for some reason, with Rod Rodney, he tries to make it look like a suicide. It's really strange. It is a little odd, but I mean, well, I guess with Tina, the big best. thing is that. Um, like sure he's more over the top but she's also in a room with like another person so you could also say like that was his idea to frame uh rod and he was trying to make it seem like rod committed suicide because of like you know uh sometimes unfortunately that happens in prison you know i suppose (laughs) and some of it of course is overthinking because like i'm sure they were just like what can we do that you know looks cool like you heard stuff. it here first, folks. Uh, Freddy Krueger <laughs> killed Epstein. Oh. <laughs> um. But then you wonder about the conspicuous nature of things like uh, Glenn's death, and then then you then you wonder. But I don't know. Maybe maybe so, just amused him to use bed sheets. What I what I would think is, don't they reuse the prop? Uh, they reuse the same prop for Tina and Glenn's death, right? The rotating house. I wonder if they just ran out of yeah. money, so they didn't have anything to do with uh, the what is what's his name's death. Maybe. Do you know? Well, they actually had to cut that death down um, for the movie because it's actually very confusing uh, what originally happened. Because the blood comes out, and I—I I mean, I know calling this death confusing is maybe like duh, but uh, you know, the blood shoots out, and then. Johnny Depp comes out of the bed, and I think he like falls over, and he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> he's just very confusing. Um, very confusing. But do you guys know about that whole uh, sequence when they filmed that? I oh, do, I but go ahead and tell us so that we. You know. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the scene where Tina dies, they have a room that can like move around, um, so that the actress can like go up the walls and then onto the ceiling and so forth. Uh, like it was a rotating room and they reused that for Glenn's death, but they didn't actually think about like what would happen when they dumped all the blood down. So the blood hits the, 
hits the floor of that room and knocks knocks the room like off balance and the entire room just started spinning and like sent lights flying and stuff and people had to like jump out of the way or else they'd get hit by it like it was oh, a huge God. disaster yeah they, they broke a ton of stuff doing it luckily nobody was injured but it's crazy i uh yeah, so with that kill as well with the Johnny Depp one, because that I think is the most confusing, even though it's probably my favorite just because of how cool it is. Um, well, that was one of the ones they used for uh, his Mortal Kombat 9 appearance. Oh, interesting. Okay. I also think that one kind of breaks the rules a little bit that we set up. Because, like, yeah, whatever happens to you in the dream happens to you in the real world, but usually it's the real world equivalent, right? Like, she just gets scratched and dragged across the ceiling. How does that hole open up in his bed? <laughs> well, then you could really ask, generally speaking, because the film asks this question, like, what is real and what is fake? Basically, the, it's a whole inception, you know, discussion where what is it that we see is real within the diegetic world, and then what is a dream? You know, when does a dream actually stop? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it a big thing for the climax, yeah. Yeah. It could be that Glenn never died, and that you know, Nancy is just stuck in this dream loop. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff to talk about as well with yeah. the ending, because it's really complicated. Maybe Nancy was one of the original victims of Freddy. Maybe she was living through a purgatorial cycle. Oh my god. I, I Okay. It's all <laughs> symbolic of menstruation. That's what John Glenn's death meant. John Glenn? I well, I started to say John, and I was like, "Wait, no, his name's Glenn." <laughs> John, when um, you died, that's what happened. <laughs> damn. Um, I I think it's a deleted scene, but I read somewhere once that one of the ideas they had was that like Nancy's older sister was one of Freddie's original victims, and that's um, why uh... there was a whole thing. Uh, I think a few of the characters uh, they were supposed to have dead uh, older siblings. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of glad they cut that because I feel like you know why I feel like why would you hide that from like your your ch- your children you know what I mean like how how they were killed right I don't know that's just me it's, I feel like that was probably a scene. it's that double edged sword right because yeah that that seems like a weird thing to hide although it may not even have been that they hid it I don't know the full context it may just been like they hide how they hide hid how they died. Um, but I also think without that, it just makes all the parents seem like crazy people. Uh, at least Nancy and Nancy and Nancy's parents, they burned this guy alive because he killed kids. But like, what's, what's their connection? Well, it was because she had her bottle of vodka that she still has to this day. (laughs) It was actually the bottle that she killed him with. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, it wasn't just one bottle. Oh, yeah. and they, she just buys that like same brand. She's got a whole closet. Well, no, no, it's the same bottle, and she's got she's got like a Captain America arm with it. So, like, they lit the building on fire, and she threw it through the window. It hit him into the fire, and then came back to her, and then she drank some more. My favorite part with that whole thing is just like showing all the crazy places she hides that bottle. Like, she's got it in the towel closet, like under towels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe yeah, this... the sorority mother from Black Christmas a little bit. 
or like she's like a complete wreck. <laughs> she is like hiding like her like liquor everywhere. <laughs> I've only seen that once, and we were in a watch party in one of the discords that we're in, and I think somebody had come in and they just like would not stop talking over it. So I just gave up. So like I don't remember anything about that movie, but I liked what I like could pay attention to. So I'd like mm-hmm. to rewatch. I had that. the same thing. Yeah, I need to rewatch that uh, Canadian yeah. horror classic. That'll be a good Christmas time episode. That's the one I have for Christmas. Yeah, is Gremlins and Black Christmas. Well, and we're we're gonna do Anna and the Apocalypse around that time too. But um, yeah, I mean, there's this is pretty much just a simple, you know, slasher movie just with a dreams uh, thing, you know, thrown in the mix to make it different enough from what was coming out at the time because a lot of slashers were just here's a guy in a mask going after horny teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think. What do you guys only... think is some of the effects in this movie? Like, because uh, for me, I think uh, it's inconsistent, but mostly good. Um, you get obviously stuff like when his arms extend, you can tell that they're clearly like fake arms, like they scrunch up in places. Yeah. And the ending effect is one of the worst effects I've ever seen in a major movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, it was but stuff. Part like, I was going to say, but there's other stuff uh, outside of that. Like, I think most of the deaths look really cool. Uh, the rotating room is really cool. Um, like, the the Freddy phone thing is pretty cool. And uh, Heather Langenkamp actually asked to keep that prop, which is a little weird, but... <laughs> uh, I'm I'm with you. It's, it's inconsistent. Uh, you get stuff like... My go-to for when I love is, like, when she rips Freddy's face off. That's a good one, too, yeah. Um, yeah. But then you've also got, like, the arm thing, which it's really funny to hear them talk about, like, the making of that, because they shot a lot of this just, like, on location in, like, small towns. Like, that scene is shot on location. And nobody knew they were shooting a movie, so they would just see, like, Robert England with, like, these this contraption on chasing after a girl. And they, if I remember correctly, it's been years since I looked into this, uh, but they talked about how, like, one of them called the cops on him because he was chasing her down an alley. <laughs> Nine one one. What's your emergency? There's a man with fifteen foot arms, and he's running down an alleyway. Uh, oh, and the the finger, like you get where he like cuts off the finger. That looks pretty good. Yeah, where he yeah. slices down his chest. Although I that one looks that. weird because it's just like he's not burned from the neck down. That is weird. Yeah, no, I agree <laughs> yeah. with that. But... Yeah, apparently he's supposed to be like a maggot-filled corpse, but he's not a burned corpse at the same time. So, uh, that's we we fix that in the sequels when they have more money. Yeah, mm-hmm. we we redo that shot like at least once or twice more, where he like cuts his chest open. For that, Freddy, in the the bedroom where you see him going through it or whatever. Um... I, and and the way that they did that effect was like really simple, but like really yeah. Cool. And have you seen the where they do that in the remake? Yeah, it's all CGI. It looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> and he like slides around the room, and he like comes out in his class. It's one of the worst things. Yeah, it's ever. Terrible. And it was like you said, one of the easiest effects to do originally. Like they just cut a hole in the wall, and they had is it like latex or something like a yeah. thing over it, and they just had a guy press on it. Like that's that's it. Yeah. It's really effective. Mm-hmm. 
and, and you get stuff like the the tub scene, which is also just a really simple like effect. Uh, although I, yeah. I I don't know which is worse, Austin. The, t- the thing at the end with this movie, or the ending of the remake, where it's that really bad, like he shoves his his claw through the mom's head in that one, and it's just like CGI claw sticking out of a CGI head. They in the remake they did a good job of making sure that they stuck to the last effect in the film, the last shot of the film being one of the worst effects ever put on screen. Yeah. So that's one thing that I can give the remake. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, it was the eighties, so you know, making a so, thing a little weird. I, I don't Which think it makes me laugh that it, she so clearly turns into a blow up top. <laughs> and then it's just like they so, just pull her through. Like it, it just yeah. after the entire movie, it looks so cheap. <laughs> so there's not a lot else I think to talk about with the majority of the movie. So let's talk about the ending, which is of course oh God, yeah. completely most, compromised. Yeah, the most compromised thing. Wes Craven, of course, did not intend this to be a franchise, uh, and even three, which is considered, I think, the best one out of the first six. It's hard to count seven because that's its its own thing. But he wrote a script for it, and then they just completely rewrote it. Because uh, he wrote, like, a really dark and, like, angry script. And, like, Freddy, I've seen bits of that original Nightmare 3 script. I don't know if any of you guys have. But, like, Freddy cursed, like, a sailor and would, like, talk dirty at his victims. And it was really weird. Oh, wow. That's uh, a lot but, darker, but, yeah. But, uh, obviously, New Line is, like, we're putting a lot of money into this movie. Or at least a lot of money, you know, for what they had. We want to be able to make this franchise if it does well. Well, that's a big thing, too, was that this was the first, like, real, like, big movie for New Line. I think they had one film before this, but before that, they were just doing, um, it it wasn't transfers, but it was, like, that kind of, like, that kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, they weren't making their own movies at that point. And this was still before they became, um, a part of Warner, uh, Warner Brothers, I believe. Yes, um, they were still kind of in their kind of infancy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like this was, I think, their second or third film that they even put out. So they would, they did a bunch of distribution for films. Distribution, that was the word I meant, not transfer. Yep. Um, but because yeah, they also did the U.S. distribution for Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but Freddy Krueger is really the one that made them like a production uh, company. And in fact, as I'm sure you guys know, New Line for a long time has, was the house that Freddy built. Because uh, mm-hmm. if that movie had flopped, we wouldn't have a New Line cinema. And we probably would not have The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yep. Or, or yeah, a lot of movies that they produced, I mean... Oh, or a yeah. secondhand lion's another one of my favorite movies. We wouldn't have the nineties TMNT movie. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New Line was great, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But I do feel for Wes Craven in a way because you know, he had to compromise what he wanted to do. Um and that ending is nonsense. Like I, I don't understand what's happening in the I, end of the movie. I, I, I didn't know. Well, and the big thing I think too is they shot like six endings because they they legitimately didn't really know what to do with this. Yeah, and there's kind of I think from what I've heard, the scene at the end isn't even one of the endings they shot. It's just like different shots from different endings that they shot. <laughs> oh God, really? I didn't even know. Makes... like it's just it's a it's a mess. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, it's it's probably the, the thing that really hurt hurts this movie the most. You know, effects aside, certain certain things in the script that I, I think could be improved. Um, like I I cringe and laugh every time Tina's like uh, Tarzan fix fix Jane towards the beginning. I'm like, what the fuck? What if? But yeah, the ending is just nonsensical, and I don't understand what it means. <laughs> to yeah. the relation to the rest of the film, was the whole movie a dream? Are we in a dream now? Like, well, it, well, from my interpretation from this probably poorly cobbled ending, we definitely get the same girls jumping rope that we saw towards the beginning of the movie. Uh, we definitely get these sections in the beginning that allude to perhaps not exactly a fixed sense of time because we see Freddie putting on the like putting on his glove and you think maybe this is a flashback or maybe it's in some sort of present dream time or something like that where he's putting it on again but we have but unfortunately because of the uh, weird nature of how time works in this movie we don't really know really what is real and what is it which i guess is what they banked on in terms of marketability for this movie I suppose. Or they, I or guess. Sequels, or mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I think the main point was just to have that ending where, oh, the slasher's not really gone. You know? Yeah. yeah, this is like one of the times when you probably should establish more rules, I would think. Because sometimes it's good to have some ambiguity, but in this case, you really need to put some more concrete things for us to latch on to. I think. But. See, I think the rules are fine as they're established because the, all, we, all we really need to know is whatever happens in the dream world will happen in the real world, and he can yeah. kill you in your dream. That those are, That is the conceit to this movie. But, because they didn't know how to end this movie, and we've got two two people who have different visions for the ending, uh, it's it, it almost feels like it's a different movie for like the last, what, like five minutes. Uh, Austin, have Last you ever? Minute, had, yeah. What's that? What's that? Have you ever had like an idea of what's happening there at the end? Uh, <laughs> Robert Chase said, "I want more money," <laughs> and that was the <laughs> ending. Um, no, it's like I can follow all throughout the climax. You know, where she's in a dream, she thinks she wakes up, but not really. She's still in a dream. And then she says, you know, like, Freddy, Freddy, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And then he disappears, yeah. which became a huge cliche. Uh, and I wish we'd stop now. But um, <laughs> uh, after that, like, when she turns around and she's, you know, in the daylight again with the mom and all the kids are there and she gets in the car roof comes down, blow up doll, gets pulled through the door. It's just kind of like... Like, I I almost ignore that scene in, in a way. Like, just, I don't know, that entire scene, I think, is pretty bad. Yeah, because, like, you could end it with him disintegrating and still do, like, a sequel. Like, that doesn't... Blech. Sorry. Uh, you could almost just say, yeah, she just, she you know, repelled him. But he's not dead. You, you can't kill Freddy, like, in the dream world. He disappears, like, Freddy disappears, 
her dad comes in and he's like, and she's like, we killed him, dad. And he's like, well, he died once, daughter. He can die then again. The final countdown starts blasting as it cuts to credits. What do you think, you little? It's your idea. I think. The way I saw it was, I just thought that whole thing was a dream, but I don't understand the continuity of it. Is I think the that's I think that might be the biggest problem for me is I don't understand the continuity of it and how it like fits in overall, right? Like, I don't know. I yeah, it's it's weird. I don't uh, think Wes Craven did either. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Wes Craven even wanted that to be a thing. So. I don't know. It was a very unfortunate situation. No, he was pretty mad about that. I wasn't really surprised. He gets mad about stuff quite a bit with that. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, rest in peace, Wes Craven. Uh, You know, he changed, changed, like, the entire face of horror at least twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I respect him as a filmmaker, but, God, have have you guys ever listened to him talk in interviews, like, before he passed away? Mm -hmm. I've read... But I haven't ever seen it. But he seems like a pretty angry person, or he was an angry person. That, like, I don't know if this is disrespectful to say, so I'm just going to reiterate all the respect in the world to him. You know, Nightmare and yeah. Scream are two of my favorite movies. The guy was full of himself at times about some of his movies. Uh, oh wow! And yeah, he he talks about like Nightmare on Elm Street as like it's some piece of like high art that none of the other sequels ever managed to surpass. I'm like, dude. I love your first movie, but the oh. third one is better. <laughs> like, yeah, that's... I don't know. And I've it's also seen... Movie, yeah, and I've also seen movies like Cursed, which was embarrassing. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, does well, anybody have... He didn't have... want to do horror movies. He, I think he wanted to do romantic comedies, I think is what he wanted to do. It was just like romance movies, I think. So that kind of makes sense, too, with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Oh, you're good. I was just going to say, um, is there any any final thoughts before we move on to our next film? Uh, this movie continues Wes Craven's fetish for traps. Which, now that I said, said that out loud, I realized it didn't come out as much like I thought in my head. He, he likes... Um... He likes uh, contraptions. Exactly, yeah. like like Fred from Scooby Doo. He loves his traps. He yes, likes snares, swords, obstacles. Yes, mm-hmm. women who are secretly men. Oh. <laughs> um, but no, because in his early films, he does a lot of traps, and I think this is kind of the end of that. Like, I feel like this is like the last one that he did like that. Yeah. Um. But that came up a lot in his early filmography. Yeah, I think this oh. is the last one that he really did like that. Mm-hmm. Also, Freddy, when he's on fire and he walks up the stairs, uh, is pretty cool. Um, especially because the stunt person that does... And you can tell that it's not Robert England, And that he is clearly wearing a suit because he's like 50 pounds buffer than <laughs> Freddy normally is. Um but the way like the stunt guy walks up the stairs and then accidentally falls back down and has to walk up again, because that was all by accident, uh, it ended up working out really well, and it looks great. Yeah. Um, I really wish that this franchise had more than three good movies. 
Because I think there is a solid franchise here. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like some of the movies, but they're not good. Like, but, yeah, I mean, for for my final score, I'm going to give this one a four. Like, it's a good movie. It's it's an important film in that particular subgenre, of course. And Robert England, like, it put Robert England on the map, and I love Robert England. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Um, I'm going to give this a 3.5. I think it's a movie that I like quite a bit. Uh, This was actually the movie that really got me into horror back in the day. Like, I liked stuff like Alien and Predator before that. But this was the first movie where I was like, oh, I really like the genre. And then that's what pushed me forward into watching more of it. Um, I don't think it's perfect. Like, there's definitely issues with it. I think some of the rules are a little muddy and so forth. and like it's it's a great premise and it's still a really good movie, but I, yeah, it's it's just not uh, as good as I think it could have been. Uh, do a little Either one of you two. Yeah. Normally you tell people. <laughs> oh no, I I was I was thinking I would go last because I was the guest, but I can go now. I guess. Uh, I I I'm thinking like a four. You know, because it's got like like it has like some minor things that I'm like kind of confused by, but like overall, I I really really like it. It's a it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Come on, Milton. Spit spit out your three point seven eight nine six five four three two out of five, sir. <laughs> for for me, I shall rate this. I, I go back and forth on this because there's a some I I give an eye for some of the technical stuff and sometimes there are things where you really could have should have done a better job in certain places especially when you're highlighting a certain thing within the shot. Mm-hmm. Freddy's newly arms it it just shows where yeah there's this intimidating figure of Robert England and he's he does a great job but then you attach something ridiculous to him. And that's how I feel the, about the entire movie. It's like I can see some great stuff in there, but occasionally there are things where there's this like spot of dead air here. So the pacing could be better in one section and, and then the other. Um, I'll you get the it, mom who can't act. <laughs> yeah. And the, so I'll give it a, I'll give it a three point three. Because, so because I just I can't I can't rate it a three because I think it's better quality than that, but I can't do mm-hmm. a three point five because I don't think it's it's missing some stuff that really got got me into movies like Hellraiser, for instance, or which we can... well, we'll we'll get to that in just a second. One yeah. last thing, just about Nightmare, and this is mostly at Austin and I think and Doolittle. Have you seen three? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you I've guys seen think... all of them? Well, I know you have. Uh, no, you didn't. To... I, you know that because I just told you. Whatever. Do you guys kind of think that three perfects this premise? Yeah, I think three is a better movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited um, to do three. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm watching more of the series certainly. Yeah, we're, just watch we're... two, three, and New Nightmare. Don't that. watch two. Two is terrible. Watch two. I don't know you what don't... his obsession with two is. Two like. I don't even know if that's even canonical. Like, it's so such we a kinda, weird term. Yeah, that's the one that basically got ignored. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Yeah. It's it's yeah, just it's Freddy weird. in the real world. It's, it's boring. Um, yeah. But just watch three and New Nightmare, and then if you kind of want to see just like bad films in this franchise, uh, four and never six. watch four and five. Four is okay. Four five, and five are the same movie, and I don't know which one's which, and they both suck. <laughs> but at least watch six because that one's really entertaining. It's bad, but it's entertaining. But anyway, um. And then, of course, the new nightmare because it's amazing. It's proto scream. Um, yeah, and so, never watch the remake. It's the worst one. Well, he's gonna have to because we'll have to cover that at some point. I think you put it on our list. I think. But um, yes, I did. <laughs> oh, and you're gonna be there for that one. Mm, no. <laughs> I'll be there. Wait, you don't want to tear? You don't want to? Rip part of movie. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's like fuck. All right. So next up is Hellraiser from 1987, which continues to prove that 1987 was one of the best years in movies ever. Because uh, you had this and like Evil Dead and or Evil Dead Two to be specific, and a bunch of other like classics, all in that one year. <laughs> you get two movies and probably some others. I I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but I know there's at least like. Four or five like big movies that I love that all came out in eight nineteen eighty seven. Um, so since Doolittle just watched this for the first time recently, I'll let him tell us about Hellraiser. Yeah, so Hellraiser, um, it's it's a great movie. It's it's an adaption of the Clive Barker novel Hellbound Heart, which I've not read, but I've heard that this film is, um, a direct adaption because it's the same. You know, Clyde Barker also directed and, and wrote this film, you know, and it's it almost feels like um, if I were to go back to that novel, it would be just kind of like a rough draft almost of this film, which is what I've heard from, from Austin and John. Um, and it's basically about, uh, I can't remember the name, it's this like contraption um, that is sold to um, this person and he... Um, it's it's kind of like a sadomasochist type thing where he's like tortured uh, and experiences all these like pleasures or the pleasures and I don't I don't I wouldn't call that pleasures but you know what I mean though right like he he you know and then you follow and 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 you know his brother uh, moves in with his uh, fiance or not fiance wife um, who the wife had committed infidelity um and and slept with his brother the brother who is is dead now because of the contraption trying to get this all straight um and they're moving they're in the house and they're moving and the father or the the he, he cuts his hand or he or he he cut he gets a cut and then it bleeds a little bit and then um uh a little bit of the brother comes back and um the the wife uh, finds out oh I've got to um, you know I've got I've got to kill people or, or and spill more blood in order to get back my lover you know it's a it's a film definitely um, if I can put it very bluntly um, definitely there's a lot of talk about like sexuality and infidelity um, the kind of morally dubious places that it brings you um, I guess um, I'm sure that as we talk more about it we'll get more to the core of it um and uh yeah that's the basic premise and then and then the daughter gets involved 
Um, and that's a whole thing that we'll talk about, definitely, it seems. Really yeah, my whenever people ask me about this movie, I always describe it as an erotic horror film, and I don't mean that in like a pornographic sense, but in the fact that it is more about sex, like you said. I agree. And yeah, uh, this one... go ahead. No, since you, this is also your first view. Yeah, I um, it's it's definitely a very interesting concept where you have these creatures, these. You know, explorers, if you will, who are essentially so bound to the idea of exploring pleasure that they just experiment so much to the point where they can no longer differentiate between pain and pleasure. As as Frank says, Frank being, you know, one of the, I guess the main antagonist of the film, you know, pleasure and pain indivisible within their space. It's definitely an interesting thing, especially when you get into the idea of where Sometimes of how uh, the wife's uh, guilt mixes with her pleasure in her, you know, very messed up relationship with Frank. Where you, you get to see the gradual deterioration of her character, but how she just generally enjoys it because she gets a thrill out of it. Yeah, there's there's a big through line. This is a very tightly written script. Yeah, and I would say Absolutely. it's a perfect movie if not for the fact that they ran out of budget and the animation looks terrible every so often other than that the effects look awesome yeah and even then i wasn't like deterred by the effects towards the end because yeah like it kind of it didn't take me out of the movie i just kind of was like yeah that's that's a thing that happens um but uh yeah no the script's great i can tell i i, I this makes me want to read more clay burker's work um okay. and, and more, uh, some other stuff that he's done because he he's he's quite a renaissance man it seems he's done a lot of stuff yeah i uh yeah. I'm a big fan of, of Clive Barker. I've read I've read quite a bit of his work, and he ranges from horror to dark fantasy. Uh, he's even done like kids books, and they're they're also really interesting. Um, I would say that the reason I, I would agree with you guys that the script is really well written. Um, he he wrote the famous kids book. Uh, there's a pinhead at the end of this book. <laughs> Sorry, that just came to me, and I, I needed to get it out. Go on. Um, because he is he this is almost like you know Doolittle said and I, I think Austin and I both agree this is just a final draft uh, of a yeah. book uh, turned into a movie um Pinhead is one of my favorite movie monsters um and also we've talked about this before you know you're very much not interested in a non Robert England uh, like Freddy Krueger uh, mm-hmm. I have this I have that with Pinhead as interested as I as curious as I am and my curiosity always you know gets the better of me about the upcoming whenever that comes out you know hellraiser reboot there's only one pinhead and it's doug bradley um everything he says in this movie is just gold well for me too i'm not interested in what the sequels do which is make the cenobites the main villains what i like is how they're used in this movie where they are there they're not they're not all over the film like if you were to count their runtime it's very short yeah they're very small yeah they don't show up until like an hour in. And mm-hmm. I agree with you to an extent. Uh, it's that weird thing. And I'm going to call myself out here for being a total hypocrite. Because I <laughs> because I agree with you. And that's the thing I hate most about the second movie. Is it humanizes them. Um, but I also have that thing where if I turn my brain off, I really love three. Because it's really stupid. Um, and four, I... So I was reading about this earlier today, and I saved it for for the show. 
There is a director's cut out there for four that I would love to see. It's very like a rough work print version. So I'm hoping that eventually some studio will like pick it up and be like, oh, here's, you know, a box set of the first, you know, four Hellraiser movies. Cause those are the, the only ones slightly worth watching. Like three and four are flawed films, but five through nine are just utter dog shit. Um, trust me. Yeah, trust me, I've seen all of the, the these movies. Yeah, though. we can thank the Weinsteins on that one. <laughs> but um the the pitch for four before the studio interfered and like four is one of those where you know the director had his name removed and it's just like Alan Smithy or whatever. Um was more of a like almost historical epic about the family that made the box. And Pin and it was gonna be like in the original movie, Head, Pinhead wasn't gonna show up till later. And it was going to go through time. It starts in like the 18th century, and then would move to modern day, and then in the future. And that's why everybody considers, you know, for Pinhead in space because the very few scenes that are in the future are in space. And it was going to be the death of Pinhead and the Cenobites. Um, but then the studio got their hooks, and it was like, no, we need more Pinhead. People want to see Pinhead, and so it's a very compromised script. Which is funny because two was also supposed to be the death of the Cenobites. So I guess, like, just odd-numbered Hellraiser films, that's where they die. (laughs) Except then we pussy out. Wouldn't it be even numbers? Oh, sorry, yeah, even number. This goes along to my general issue with sequels in general, because when you get a sequel to something that wasn't originally intended to sequels, it gets further and further away from the main, like, Mm -hmm. theme and through line that, you know, gives it so much life. Um, the idea of pleasure and pain mixing and how it relates to the main characters. Because you def- you don't just get that theme, you also get it contrasts with here's more wholesome pleasure, more innocence. And then you have this general temptation over here with this rather weird-looking box that gives you a sense of like a fascination of what could be because you're not content with how things are at the moment. See, I, I fully agree uh, with you on that. Now, I will say, I think this movie leaves room for a sequel because, you know, just somebody else getting the box and telling, like, a different story with that. Um, Well, that's what this should be as a franchise is different stories about people who wind up getting this box as opposed to being what it did become, which is the slasher series where Pinhead kills people. (laughs) I mean, it shouldn't be that way because... Mm -hmm. If you put him more and more towards the forefront, which he was never intended to, it just happened that Clive Barker didn't even uh, name that character. Yeah, like no, it, I think his original name was um, he didn't have a name. He it's just lead Cenobite. If you were if you go into the credits, like, yeah, something like that. I also saw like the because um, I saw it through Amazon Prime, and apparently he also had like an alternate name or something like that. Like as well, Bruce. I think I think so. Clive Barker did another novel or something where he's called the. The Hell Priest, I think. Something but like Clyde Barker also hates the series because of what happened to it. Yeah, understandably so. so. Absolutely. So I have read that other book. It's called The Scarlet Gospels, mm-hmm. and it was it was it was a kind of a big deal because there's two characters that Clyde Barker is known for: Pinhead from the movies, but in his book side, he has like a supernatural detective that will show up yeah. in random books. And Scarlet Gospel is supposed to be like the meeting of his two big characters. Uh, but you can tell he hates Hellraiser. 
his pinhead is nothing like he is in the in anything else in that book. His whole thing in that book is just to take over hell. Uh, and he just wants power, and it was it's not a great book, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That's what the sequel should have been. Instead, everything after four is just here's an old script that didn't get made. Let's shove Pinhead into it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. And after a while, even if you're watching just for like Doug Bradley, because you know he he kept coming back. Even he was like, no, fuck you. I'm not doing this anymore. And we got, like, discount pinhead. Big uh, respect. You know, but Doug Bradley is awesome. He has a fantastic presence and voice. He mm-hmm. he does what he is supposed to do in this movie. I think all the actors are really good in this movie. Um, like, I don't think there's a weak link in this cast for me personally. No. Even... is also pretty good. Yeah, like, even, I think, the woman who plays, uh, uh, Kirstie, Christy? Kirstie. 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 Um, I don't think I've seen her in anything else, but she has, like, a presence in this film that I really like. Um, and I think she's really good, too. And, you know, so is her father and, uh, uh, Julia, the, uh, like, her stepmom that's with Frank. The dad chapman plays Frank. Andrew Robinson plays Larry. The dad might be my favorite of the human characters. Um, Because he's really good as just, like, the innocent dad who's just trying to, like, provide a good, uh, like, home for his wife and his... But then he's also really intimidating when he becomes Frank. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's the only one I've seen in something else, and it's, like, a two-minute role in Child's Play 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very good that the actor manages to like flip the switch pretty pretty well, so much so that you can actually see that it that it's somewhat underneath. It, it, it's a good testament to the actor. In the I think any, yeah, I think any scene with uh with uh Kirsty and and Frank, uh, like those two scenes, like like the scene where um where Frank takes over. Uh, is his name Larry? That's the dad's name, right? Larry, yeah. Larry's Larry is the dad. Yeah. Frank is yeah. the evil one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that that scene is very disturbing. Um, where where she's like really like shocked about everything. Um, yeah. That that was pretty intense. And and the scene where uh, Kirsty opens the like you know gets the box and she is confronted by the Cenobites is also just like. Very unpleasant because you're like, oh my god, because you've got like these like characters and you've got like the nun. I think is that her name? Like, like she she like has like a really creepy voice. And you're she's just, like, oh, just called a female centipede, played by Grace Kirby. Uh, my yeah, name for her I is think... Vagina Throat. She's got that like yeah thing going on but, there. Maybe deliberate I think, actually. I think, but doesn't is wasn't she like a nun in the past? Though I think that's what John said one time. Like like me and John were talking about it in the past i'm not sure though i was the looking chatter hour was like a kid yeah i was looking into it because there's like different comics that have explored like the backstory of the cenobites mm-hmm. um and the she was originally a nun the chatter was yeah. like a 12 year old kid who had opened the box um the other thing to note as well of course is Clive barker has returned to this franchise multiple times just not in movies um, Austin, you really need to read the new, the last, I think it's the last run, the last that I'm aware of, uh, Hellraiser run, uh, from, like, Boom that he wrote, uh, cause he brings back, like, Kirsty and, and Pinhead and all of that and does new stuff with them. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, but Austin, you made your comment towards her uh, slip. <laughs> Apparently, the Cenobites are in Helvang are called the Order of the Gash. Um, so, yeah. But I, I also have not seen that actress in anything other than the, the three sequels that she's in. And I, mm. one of those is just like archive footage of two. When she's like a cameo, I think, in one. In six, because that was the big thing with six. We got, we got Kirsty back. Oh, she's in like two minutes of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I am looking here. Uh, she is supposed to appear in one of the new episodes of that creep show TV show. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm interested to see that. Because mm-hmm. I think she's really good in this movie. And I don't know, I, I can't ex- like really explain it, but she's, she's got like a lot of presence, I think. I think she's probably one of my favorite final versions. That's oh, yeah. that's what I thought too, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, she's very good. I love her. My favorite mm-hmm. is probably Jenny from Friday the 13th Part 2. Because uh, I love like the stuff with her and her child psychology, how she uses that against Jason. But Kirsty is definitely there. I definitely like Kirsty more than any Friday the Thirteenth girl. <laughs> but... Well, I I just yeah. mean I like how clever she is. like. I think <laughs> no, no I, I'm just joking. But yeah, uh... but yeah uh, <laughs> I just think they they had a good idea with the final fight of that of part two. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, the effects I think in this film were all really good. Uh, the Cenobites look really cool. Each one of them has kind of their own distinct look. You got uh, you got Pinhead, Vagina Throat, Nemesis, <laughs> and that big like Butter that ball. big thing, yeah, Butterball, yeah. a basket case. If he had like a giant so, worm body, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because originally uh, they were all supposed to like talk and interact with Kirsty. But half of them couldn't say their lines in that makeup. That's why Pinhead has all their lines because he was the one that could yeah. talk the best. I mean, occasionally that's not super surprising. Nemesis, uh, yeah. Um, and it's the chatterer. Fuck you very much. Yeah, the chattering Cenobite, the female Cenobite, the Butterball Cenobite, and the, and lead you know. Cenobite. Yeah. yeah Pinhead, damn it. Oh yeah, we should also credit Oliver Smith for uh, playing the monster version of Frank as well. You know, uh, credit, yeah, yeah, because oh, yeah. I mean, the scene where Frank is like reborn through the through the floor is one of the. Like, it's so good. It's great. Oh, yeah. The effects, the practical effects, are fantastic. Goosebumps, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Are, are Even guys... just like his makeup, I think, like he looks he looks wet in a way that. You know, he's just muscle and not flesh. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, and and it helps that the sh- uh, the the lighting works really well with that too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and That's I good. think I could be wrong, but I think this is Clive Barker's first movie. Uh, am I correct about that, John? Uh, let me check. Yeah, because if that is the case, like that's really impressive for a first-time director. I think it's first, but his first was Underworld and then Rawhead Rex. Uh, Okay, so this is his directorial debut. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. So yes, because he was he was not happy about how Rawhead Rex came out. Uh, If you've seen the Red Letter Media video on this, apparently that movie was supposed to be all about like toxic masculinity and sex and shit like that. 
and like yeah, none of that is in the movie and he got really mad so he's like the next one he was like you know i'll just do it myself i'll direct the damn thing and mm-hmm. i own that was... movie but i haven't watched it yet um and didn't but didn't he also direct like some theatrical uh theatrical productions uh like some like like a uh, plays i think i thought he had like a theater company play parker Unless oh I'm maybe not. i'm not sure yeah, no, he did some plays uh, starting in the 70s. Uh, the first one that I see a credit to is The Clowns of Sodom in 1976 with the Mute Pantomime Theater. Oh, wow. Did he just um, Or did he just I, write it? I think he just wrote it. I think. Okay. Oh, interesting. So apparently for the remake, they're going. If this is true, they're going to go back to just calling it the Hellbound Heart, which I think is interesting. Um, I I can't bring myself to be excited about that. He's writing the script, which I guess is the one thing I have hope for. Uh, it'll probably just be like it'll the same be a script. Next draft. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like 40, 30 years. He's still working on that damn script. What what if he goes back and he makes it more like the Hellbound Heart? Like some of the improvements for this movie takes him back. But yeah, you know, like, I gotta mocking the daughter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like Clive Barker had an interesting like early career because he did he directed and wrote Hellraiser. He wrote Hellraiser two, which I think is why a lot of people like that one because it is written by him. It's I just think it's it's too ambitious for what it's got, and I don't like what it does with the Cenobites of that one as much. Um, but then. You know, Nightbreed came out right after that, which I have to see. And then he moved right into producing, you know, Candyman, which we both thought, we all thought was awesome. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Hellraiser 3, which is dumb, but I like it. But I, I almost wonder if some of those, if it was just like, oh, you know, you, it's based on your movie, we'll give you like a producer's credit. Probably. Maybe, uh... Probably, probably, probably. Um, yeah. But uh also one of just the most like brutal ways to kill people in these movies with the hooks. Yeah. It's not like oh, it's anymore. Any, like, yeah. Yeah, um when it's Frank but he's in Larry's skin and he's all stretched out. Jesus yeah. I mean sometimes sometimes I wonder about like how brutal it technically is if compared to some maybe some Jason's skills or Leatherhead's or whatnot. But this did one. Did you just say it, Leatherhead? I guess I did, and I should not have said that. <laughs> it is a Ninja Turtles villain? Was he going around massacring people? What I meant to say was is that this, there's definitely an elongated uh, feel to these kills. Yeah. Which really goes into the theme of, you know, drawing something out for as much pain as possible. The MPAA had a huge problem with some of that violence, and they had to yes. cut it down, um, which is interesting that they cut that stuff, but they didn't cut any of the violence with uh, the wife killing people, because um, I feel like with, this is going to get into like a moral kind of argument, but like the violence that the wife commits is like actually repeatable, while the violence with like the, the Cenobites and the, the device, I don't think you can really repeat that. Well, I think the thing is the white when she kills someone, it's just like a quick blow to the head or two. With with Cinnabite, it's like slow and like he's being pulled apart. 
I will uh, yeah. say, um, I do think a lot of that stuff is effective the way it is. Um, so, like, I'm not going to say, like, the MPA is right, because oh. I haven't seen, you know, what was originally there. But I do think that what we do get is very much like a less is more uh, type situation. Well, I agree. I, I don't have any issues with the way it is. Uh, I think I, I totally it works very, very well. I, was, I just thought that was interesting to point out. No, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's amazing that uh, this movie wasn't cut down more, uh, yeah. especially certain things like uh, when Frank comes back or even um, his look, really. Like, I don't know. To, and to, to go back to what Milton was saying for a second, I think in a way this is more brutal than anything in like a Friday the 13th film because they're allowed to like linger on it. Whereas yeah. with Jason, they had to cut those kills down, uh, which is just, you know, again, the MPA being selective on what movies they'll let, allow to show violence and what they won't. Whereas Jason is probably more brutal in just the second, you know, like bending someone backwards in half or cutting someone's head off. It's like a second, like a frame. Whereas J- Pinhead, you know, you're lingering on this guy being ripped to pieces by chains with hooks on them. Uh, I think the difference between the two, not that I'm saying that, like, right off one of them, uh, but obviously, like, one is more kind of trashy. You know what I mean? And that's, again, not me trashing on Friday the 13th. That's the appeal of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I wonder if that maybe goes into it. Like, this is a movie that has something to say while Friday the 13th doesn't really. So I wonder if they maybe that's some of their leeway, but the MPA is really hard to read to begin well, with. I mean, doesn't Hellraiser have only like a budget of like $1 million? It's a really it. small budget movie. Yeah, that, yeah. that was but I'm, $1 million. But I mean, I guess at the same time, Friday the Thirteenth is an even smaller budget because I think the first one's like five hundred thousand. The first one had around the same budget as Halloween. Um, oh wow! The, okay. the thing with Friday the Thirteenth that saved it was they got Tom Savini, so the kills, what you see of them, all looked. But that—that's oh. topic for another uh, oh, show, which we... might be interesting to discuss. Yeah. If we could, let's talk about the score. Because I think the score yes. is great. I was actually yeah, going to bring that up uh, because yes. Doolittle and I were talking about the other day, about that the other day, and I've I've tried to like listen to scores more often. I love the score to this movie. It's very classic, like gothic horror in a way. Yeah, uh, yeah especially Barker, that like main theme. Yeah, Barker said that he wanted like the group Coil to do the music for the film. I'm so glad that didn't happen because I think Christopher Young just knocks it out of the park here. And yeah, it's and like Christopher one of the Young. times when the producers actually make a good decision. <laughs> yeah, and Christopher Young um, takes some of Coyle's original tracks and reincorporates it into the score. So if that's that work isn't totally lost, but I think Young, I don't know, Young's definitely one of my favorite horror composers because it's just such a like classical gothic kind of feel, and it actually feels very atmospheric. And um, I just I just really like what what he does with his pieces. Um, yeah, no, Young, yeah, Young definitely showed reverence for the fact of, oh yeah, I'm passive for these guys, but Clyde Parker seems to think they're cool. Also, he's a director. Sure, I'll incorporate some of their themes into this. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I don't really think Film Futures, the production company, has 
done much, but well, it was a, it was, at least was a good makeup for this uh, this movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely. I love that like main piece they use when the Cenobites show up. That like I don't even know how to describe it, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That like almost sw- like rising orchestra sound. Yes. So, oh yeah. There's uh, there's just something about it that just just gets you. It's awesome. Like credit to Candyman, which is another Clyde Barker adaptation, which seems to like mimic a lot of the like good production and like sound design. Of something like this, of yeah. something like Hellraiser coming, like you know, almost ten years or well, more like half a decade, but you know, yeah. I mean, I yeah, and I really like Candyman. I, I want to rewatch it. The thing with Candyman versus this is this is just the author kind of perfecting an idea, whereas Candyman is taking that Clive, one of Clive's ideas and doing their own thing. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, such a smaller story. Like that's more of a. Uh a mystery movie, you know, where somebody's trying to figure something out. That movie, uh, like I, I think I said in that video, reminds me a lot um, in terms of premise of the uh, uh, the ring where you have like a character that's kind of being haunted by this mythical being and they're trying to investigate it. Well, here it's almost like a closed room drama. Like we're stuck in one house through the majority of the film. Um, and obviously they bring people in, but it's it's much smaller. That's Very crazy to think yeah. that was fourteen mm-hmm. episodes ago. What's that? That was fourteen episodes ago. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and if I may for just a moment, because I have pulled up some of the stuff they had to cut, uh, and a lot of it is just you know small small mm-hmm. things. Uh, okay. Two and a half shots were cut from the first Hammer murder. Uh, including a close-up of the hammer lodged in the victim's head. Oh, okay. In the scene where Julia murders another man, the actor playing the victim felt that it made sense for him to do so naked. (laughs) The nude murder scene was shot, but ultimately replaced with a semi-clothed version. Um, I'm I'm kind of glad for that one. (laughs) I mean, I can understand where he was coming from. Yeah. Uh, close-ups yep. of Kirsty sticking her hand into Frank's stomach, exposing his guts. I'm assuming that's when he's all, like, bloody and muscly. Uh, and finally, yep. a longer version of the scene where Frank is being torn into pieces by the Cinnabites' hooks, and there was a final shot where his head explodes and his brain messages flashes out. Oh, wow. It's probably yeah, where you see more swing and then we don't see as much as we probably could. I was just gonna say, maybe it is more effective if we don't see that. Apparently he also shot, and this is in Clive's own words here, I shot a much hotter flashback sequence that they would, that they would allow us to cut, uh, than they would allow us to cut in. Mine was more explicit and less violent. I want to substitute one kind of undertow for another. I had much more explicit sexual encounter between Frank and Julia, but they said no. Let's take out the sodomy and put in the flick knife. <laughs> okay then. Wow. That's that's pretty intense. Um, that is a really weird scene too, just the way it is in the movie. Yeah, because like if if I remember correctly, that's the scene where you know uh, they're having sex and like Frank shows up and just like starts cutting into a dead rat. I don't know I had a couple of scenes like that that I I almost think you could have cut, but overall, like I really I I think as it is, it's a bit great movie. 
yeah. of what Barker is saying. And granted, I probably would not like to see it, but in some ways, sodomy might make more sense towards the theme. I don't know. Um, in any case, it works. Thankfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't feel like it was cut down, so it loses uh, the message of the movie. Um, anything else that we really want to go over about about Hellraiser? Oh yeah, I I don't know. Maybe to any anime fans out there, I see huge inspiration with this and of Berserk. I was surprised to see um, how much of the God Hands um, design is very similar to a lot of the Cenobites uh, design as well. In some yeah. Ways. Especially with a butterball uh, set of light. Yeah, that, that that doesn't surprise me. That makes sense. I was I the like the comparison I got was like uh, some video games probably took a lot of inspiration from this. I mean, clearly, Awesome's a nemesis, but also some of the Silent Hill games have um, absolutely. Um, well, and they kind of from... jump into the sexual thing here and there too. Yeah. Silent Hill. Oh yeah, Silent Hill Two is definitely about a lot of that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, takes a more psychological impro- approach, but um, yes, it's very much kind of talking about those more sensitive topics that people don't like talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, funny enough, the the butterball sound of bite. Uh, the first the first thing I thought of when I saw it was. Um... Uh, in the Meth Madness, when you see all the creatures chasing Sam Neill at the end, I wonder if that was an inspiration uh, for that movie. Possible. Um, but I, that's, I don't think I have anything else for Hellraiser. I, it's a masterpiece. Okay, so the other thing I did want to mention, because we talked about the effects more towards the beginning, uh, I almost also kind of wish they had either changed or cut the in, the very last like like last shot of the movie with that weird flying thing. Like oh, just, the like Hell Angel. Yeah, because it looks bad, and I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I guess. Oh, I, I don't. I don't have an issue with that. I don't know. I guess um, it was just to establish the fact that there was always some weird figure, like as a as a witness. That could also yeah. just work towards making sure that the Cenobites are just a temptation for man. It, yeah, it brings it back to uh, where it started, yeah. So yeah, it can all happen that. again. So, and the other thing that's... And I will say I give props to this movie as well, because not many movies make me like uncomfortable watching them. There is something uncomfortable watching that old like homeless guy eat those flies in the pet shop. God, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's you... that's the thing that ties both of these films together. In in the first one, they spit out like bugs, and in this one, they're <laughs> eating bugs. It it all makes sense. It might also be just a theological underpinning with Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, essentially, and turning into some demon thing later on. Well, that's why uh, that you have to turn the magic conch in order to summon uh, the Cenobites, right? Yeah. <laughs> Raise the magic conch. I also love the de- just the design of the box or the lament configuration, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and it's so yeah, it's cool great. just watching it like unfold itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, that yeah, the box is cool. 
I, I yeah, that's agree. one of those props I would like to have at some point. Yeah. Not like I don't mean like the exact prop, but you know what I mean, like that kind of thing. Remind me, Austin. I'm gonna. I want to show you this box that I got for the first two Hellraiser movies. It comes in the box. I, I think you have. I think you have because oh, okay. that's familiar. Yeah. Yeah, and it pull, opens great. up, and it's got the two discs. And the, but have you seen the Arrow release that they did? Not that I know of. It's like the first three, and it's called the Scarlet release or something like that. I'll look it up. But it's like it's like kind of like the big you know anniversary box set, but just the first three because they know three cares after that. <laughs> Um, thanks, Weinstein's. But I, I agree with Austin. This is near near perfect film. Um, Pinhead. Since we brought it up with Freddy as well, I'm gonna to be honest. Pinhead is probably number four on my like monster slash like horror villain. I know he's not really the villain, but you know what I mean. Uh, Just like uh, horror character, like monster characters. Yeah, he's right under Freddy for me. Yeah, he he'd definitely be up there. Like I don't know exactly where like i said i gotta think overall just like horror characters because there's so many um but no he's great i saw the ranking for that he he would probably be up there in like the top like 50 yeah exactly and uh it wouldn't be your thing austin but uh my dad used to listen to this like extreme metal band from england and doug bradley would do voiceovers for their records and it almost sounded exactly like Pinhead doing like a voiceover for a metal album. It was awesome. I paid Pinhead to do it. <laughs> That's pretty sweet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also have on my wall a signed picture of Pinhead from, from Doug Bradley. It's one of my like favorite possessions. How well can you angle that camera, John? Uh, you wouldn't be able to see it. This room is pitch black. Oh, I will boy. take a picture and post it in the Haven Report Discord. Okay. Uh, for you guys. There we go. Now, now we're all kind of on equal levels. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't uh, want to see your crotch, George. <laughs> so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this one a four point five out of five. Uh, it's it's one of the most unique horror films of the '80s. And now I have like a headache. Oh my inception. God. <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> like fifteen me's. Sorry. One is bad know. enough. <laughs> I love um, it. But uh yeah, I I I lived with this movie for most of my life. Uh my dad was a big fan of this franchise. And that's kind of why I'm more forgiving on those earlier sequels. Uh cuz he was I loved my dad. I loved my dad, but he also very much cared more about just like the the shallow parts of Hellraiser, you know, like the monsters and the aesthetic, which is fine. Yeah, no, um, it's absolutely fine. But like we we'd throw like Hellraiser 3 and 4 like this, you know, he Pinhead gets more like one-liners and stuff in those, uh, and we just like throw them back at each other. It was great. That's um, funny. I can't even imagine Pinhead having one-liners. <laughs> like, that's really remind funny. me after the stream. There's a couple I want to send you that I think are hilarious. Okay, um, but yeah, yeah it he's... is funny to think of like just off of this movie that like <laughs> he's running around cracking lines, <laughs> and it's weird because that really only sticks for like three and four. Because, uh, like, 5 and 6 are the same movie, even more to an extent than, like, Nightmare 4 and 5 are. And he doesn't show up until the last, like, five minutes of the movie. Uh, he, like, hooks somebody and he goes, I hooked a big one. No, so the twist for 5 and 6 is the exact same twist, that the protagonist is already dead. And the whole film has been him in hell uh, being tortured by Pit. 
Yes, I heard about that one, yeah. So Pinhead just shows up to explain the entire movie and then leaves. Uh, but yeah, so... Thanks, wine stains. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna switch up the order a little bit. Austin, you went first with the ratings last time. Uh, I went Doolittle, second. Well, you went first out of the three. Uh, Doolittle, what is what do you think of Hellraiser? What would you give it? Five. Five? Yeah, out of five, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Alright. Uh, Milton? I give it a five out of 5,000. It has bankruptcy of, informa- of imagination, as Roger Ebert I can't, I don't understand what that guy's <laughs> issue is with some horror movies and just franchises. I was I really hoping that would come up because <laughs> Hellraiser, I always laugh about how he like trashed on the thing and uh, Hellraiser then was like, Anaconda, that was a really creative movie. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I didn't even really like Anaconda. He also hated Day, uh, he also hated Day of the Dead, but loved Dawn of the Dead. But, like, this movie has no imagination. Anaconda? Creative masterpiece. <laughs> no, it's, um... It gets me a 5 out of 5. I think this movie is great. And it should have had no sequels. I agree with you. Austin, are you gonna, are you gonna cinch and put this in our un- unofficial Hall of Fame 5 out of 5 films? I'm gonna give it a 1. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Oh, one out of one is a pretty good rating, though. I agree with Austin. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a one out of a zero point five. No, <laughs> give it a five. Um, <laughs> this is where John flexes. us. No, I gave it a four point five. Oh, but, he did well. But remember, as long oh. as the... can can I finish? No, as long as the majority. As long as the majority gives it a five out of five, it still goes on the list. Oh, okay. So it's three I'm out of four. I'm still gonna boo you, boo. No, four point five isn't unreasonable, though. I don't think it's I a just, perfect movie, but I think it's very good. I just think there's a couple of things like the script is perfect, but there's also just a couple of scenes I might have changed a little bit. Um, but it, it might just be me. I might feel differently on a rewatch. Um, but it's it's still one of like the best movies like ever um i, I swear to god <laughs> especially from that decade so, I, I i think it's definitely one of the best uh horror films from the 80s yeah and that's saying something because like 80s is like the golden age for horror in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah, um for me, had, uh... this is one of the most unique and uh creative horror films i think i've ever seen like there's Absolutely. nothing that i've seen where i'm like that's like hellraiser i agree um, yeah. So, yeah. I will add that to the list. If you guys would like to see that list, there's only like three or four movies on there right now. Um, yeah. I know The Thing is that movie's a masterpiece as well. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it hadn't been for Milton, the two Romero movies would be on there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so right now, for anyone who's curious, there are four films on our five out of five. These are perfect movie list. The Thing, The Witch, Hereditary, and now Hellraiser. Uh, which is cool. And then make some movies. So yeah. next... Yes. Absolutely. So next week, uh, we are going to have another special guest, Connor Nielsen. I almost said that wrong. It's, <laughs> it's been a long... like We've been at this for over 
for almost two hours. For over nine thousand. Exactly. Anyways, uh, we're he wants to do the people under the stairs, uh, and Austin recommended to pair that with the Hills Have Eyes. So that's what we're gonna do. Uh, Austin, obviously, which is I- funny because we did like kind of unintentional Wes Craven uh, <laughs> kind of thing between this week and la- next week because we obviously did Nightmare. And then next week, we got a double feature. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Austin, we'd love to have you there as well, because I know you said you love The Hills Have Eyes quite a bit. I should be there, yeah. I have to find a way to watch people under the stairs, but I should be there. Uh, see if... Neither have I. Uh, that's, neither have I, yeah. I. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Hills yeah. of Eyes is awesome, though. Oh, yeah. Um, the other the thing... hills are alive with eyes. Uh, the hills yeah. are alive with the sounds of... Well, what's the, o- the other thing is, Austin, I'd like to get with you because I just got resubscribed to Shudder. And since that is all horror, I'd like to do something where we maybe just like take uh, like an afternoon on Saturday or some or Sunday when we're not doing a show if you're not busy. Just like pick a movie and maybe do a commentary on it or something. Um, okay, sounds good. I paid for it. I'm not well used to it. <laughs> Can I come too, John? No. No. Okay. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're. Of course, one of the welcome do little. Uh, it was great having you. You did a great job. Um, yeah, thank you. We really liked yeah, having was, you here. Yeah, it was great yeah, having nice you. Here. If you ever want to replace Austin, <laughs> please, please do. Please do. Yeah, see, he doesn't even <laughs> want to be here. We, we, oh, we had to man. bribe him with Hellraiser to get him to come on the show. And since oh. you shaved, you look like a mix between uh, Andrew Garfield, Spider Man, and uh, Harold Ramis. So everybody would rather have you here. <laughs> really, that's the most unique comparison someone made. To- no, no, I can should. see, I can see yeah. the Harold Ramis. I can see both the Andrew Garfield thing and the Harold Ramis thing. I, I'm it's really funny. Yeah. I've heard people tell me I look like uh, a character on Friends, which is like I don't like, I don't love that because I think that the yeah, I don't, I don't see Ross as much. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Don't like that guy. No, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah guys, Ramis. this was this was episode twenty. I mean, <laughs> I, I have to be honest when I when I approached Austin one day, we were just chatting. I was like, "Yeah, I'm trying to bring you know this horror show idea I had back." I didn't think I'd ever like get to the point where I have three host like co hosts. Uh, you guys are awesome. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. I think we're gonna call it quits for here. Austin's probably like. Finally, I have an Xbox that's waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we will be back next week. People under the stairs, hills have eyes. Uh, Austin, let me know if you find a way to watch people under the stairs. I'd offer to let you use my Voodoo account, but I guess that's just not a thing in Canada. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to look to see if I can rent it somewhere. It shouldn't be an issue. Cool. But uh, yeah, we will be back next Saturday, and uh, we appreciate you guys. Have a good one.